Let's rock. If you knew the tribe, we got Rich behind the mix. Rad is across the table from me, and I am Yanni Bormeister. We are Unity Gym experts at turning driven people into athletes. This episode is brought to you by the Unify Movement System, the online program that balances strength, flexibility, and fitness so you can unleash your inner athlete. Get daily coaching by us, plus both our Epic Gym and Home UMS programs. As a valued listener, use the link in the description to get your first month free. Before we get started, I always like to give a big warm welcome if you're watching on YouTube. Remember to hit the like button. The more likes we get, the more people get to see this great, useful content. And always subscribe if you like what you see. I'm very excited to announce that joining us today, we have Phil White from ADPT Physio and Tony Bataji from TonyBataji.com. And for those of you who didn't know, Tony started working in the fitness industry in 1995, first as a personal trainer and sports coach, and then moved into roles that included education, academia, and strength coaching. These days, Tony splits his time evenly between coaching one-on-one in the gym and running educational courses on many topics to do with training, program design, and body composition. He holds a PhD in sports science and has written more than 65,000 training programs and coached elite athletes in around 30 different sports. Tony, welcome back to the show. It's great to have you here. Thank you. Great to be here, guys. And Phil, welcome to the show as well. It's always good to have you here. Absolutely. Can yeah. get into it. Yeah. Yeah. This is, a, this is a, a really good discussion that we've got today. Yanni, why don't you introduce the topic? Yeah, this is uh, last year in 2021, we threw out to the uh, tribe uh, what questions they had. So this is the Unity Gym Tribe Q&A podcast series where we answer your questions. Today, we have a question from a bunch of the tribe. We had Patrick Offner, Martin Rose, Tim Hughes, Diane Norbury, Nick Eddy, and Helen Madge, all from the UMS Online Coaching Group, ask for specific training tips to maintain muscle mass, strength, flexibility, and metabolism as you age. And the ages that they gave were 40, 50, and 65 plus. And we're also going to answer, in doing so, we're also going to answer a really great question from Jody Buttle from the UMS Movement Mastermind Group, who asked, how should you train to avoid perimenopausal muscle loss and how to best cope with it mentally? Uh, these two questions have a lot. They're very well, uh, very um, related to one another. So let's throw it straight over to uh, Tony and uh, let's get your best training tips, uh, both for men and women, as you age to maintain muscle mass, strength, flexibility, and metabolic function. Well, Huge question there with a lot of different avenues that that we can go down. So firstly, let's, let's look at aging and then what can be done about that. So typically, both males and females, muscle mass and peak, uh, muscle and strength peak at around 25 to 30. And then it stays relatively constant until we hit 50. And then from 50 onwards, we typically lose 1 to 2% of our muscle every year and about three to four percent of our strength now that stays pretty constant until we hit about 60 and then we get a a sharper decline from 65 70 and then by the time we're 80 then frailty syndromes start to kick in now research has shown that we tend to not lose our muscle and strength in a linear way we tend to lose it during these periods called a catabolic crisis and that's when we're bedridden with either injury or sickness, like the flu or COVID, where you're basically 
not doing anything for a week at a time, we lose chunks of our strength and muscle mass in these bouts. But interestingly, in the absence of that, muscle mass is pretty constant. But the only difference is for females who go through menopause, where they have marked changes in the hormone environment that is protective of muscle and bone, and also of metabolic syndrome and insulin resistance. So the advice that we would give somebody in their 20s versus their 40s is exactly the same, dependent on your ability to recuperate. And that is the older we get, the more time space we need before training sessions so that we can keep training productively rather than getting sore and, and uh, potentially having injuries. So the age of 20, 30, 40 is pretty similar, just take into account recuperation ability. From 50 onwards, the argument should be that we focus more on strength and muscle mass because that's the period of time where our muscles are more susceptible to being lost with periods of inactivity. And this is called anabolic resistance, and it works in two ways. Every time we perform an exercise session or eat protein-rich foods, that talks to our muscle mass to essentially start growth pathways and we grow that we lay down more muscle mass or we have more muscle growth as we age muscles become more anabolically resistant and when we pass menopause muscle becomes more anabolically resistant so that means the amount of protein it takes to turn on muscle growth pathways and the amount of weight training that we do to to get that happening as well is blunted a little bit so that's why weight training and protein-rich foods become a real emphasis over the age of 50, as opposed to any other modality of exercise. And all exercise is important, of course, aerobic, anaerobic, but weight training speaks to muscle mass in a way that the others don't really do. So the big answer to the question, guys, is that the emphasis up to 50, nothing really changes. After 50, that's where there should be potentially a greater emphasis on weight training and protein-rich foods that talk together to preserve muscle mass. Yeah, that's uh, awesome and such good advice for people because we, um, you know, sadly, we do see so many people rejecting the notion that regular weight training is, an, is a really important part of health and fitness and longevity. And um, it's, uh, it's, it, it's, I think it's a message that as much as everybody in this room has heard um, enough to really sink in, I think the, the general population out there still uh, are really not understanding the um, the importance of this. I think the one thing that we should emphasize, and this is something that I really like to emphasize with everybody, is that you've got a window of opportunity. You know, you don't really find it um, uh, appealing to sort of get into a gym and lift weights until you're in your later teens for men and maybe women. It's in your in your twenties. You sort of see that um, uh, historically. And then you've got a window of opportunity. You've, you know, there's a little bit of time where you're figuring things out. And then I think from like 25 to 35, 40, I really would challenge everybody to try to 
make it a, a lifestyle practice as, as quickly as possible, you know, so that you can sort of bank as many reps and as many days in the gym as possible uh, within reason uh, uh, to put on as much muscle mass as, as possible in that period of time. Yeah. Because um, it becomes a little bit harder and harder uh, <coughs> with every year, I think. And that's not to do with just your physiology. That's to do with just lifestyle factors. The moment you have children to take care of and your career starts to become more and more demanding, uh, you just tend to find more excuse not to get into a gym or not to find a barbell or a set of dumbbells and move them around as much. So I'm always just telling all of my friends and, and, and our community here at the gym, you know, don't get too caught up in the finer principles of what the where you're going to get the 1% or 2%. Just build a habit of regular practice of, of resistance training and cardio training and, and uh, flexibility training uh, so that by the time you, you need that uh, routine, it's sort of really, really laid down and it's strong. It's, it's something that has become a, a habit, a ritual, if you may. Yeah, and supported by nutrition as well. But um, I really love what you said there about the, was it catabolic events was the term you used? Is that right? Yeah, so the term catabolic crisis, crisis is proposed yeah. by a group of the Netherlands, uh, Luke van Loon's lab that have done a lot of research on comatose patients and people experiencing bed rest. So they have access to a hospital 24-7 where they can go in and take samples of muscle during people who are comatose or who have limbs immobilized and they drool through the cast, take samples of muscles. So a lot of what we know about aging muscle has actually come from his lab because he's the one who's able to actually plot muscle changes, strength and muscle changes over time. And he's the one to propose that it's actually not linear because studies show from this age to this age, your strength and muscle are going to go down. So everyone's assumed it's linear, but he's shown that it's not. These catabolic crisis periods of bed rest and injury is what causes the major changes in muscle. And he's shown that one week of bed rest, one week takes about six months of weight training experience to reverse six months versus one week. Yeah. Wow. It's, I, I can vouch for that when I had my knee reconstruction yeah, after five after five days, like you sort of could almost on a day to day basis watch the the the, the quadriceps disappear. Yeah, I, I wanted to bring it up because I had a, a patient just yesterday um, who was a fifty one year old man who'd had an ACL reconstruction and um, his like with ACL reconstructions these days they get you mobilizing really early, weight bearing really early. Um, the physio he'd been seeing before had done, um, you know, strengthening exercise for the quads. Muscle mass was pretty good, but it kind of just missed it, um, any calf work in there. And he came in and he was just like, there is a crater where my calf used to be. Like, it was just amazing mm. how, like, mm. this was only within, he's had the surgery within the last three to like about three weeks ago. Yeah. And just like, just from, you know, he got, like got the rest of the stuff right. The quads are looking pretty good, but the, like the calf had just completely sort of created out in that medial side and. Like it was just amazing to see, you know, when we look at these studies and they're talking about people who are, um, you know, complete bed rest, lying down, not doing anything like this guy is still, you know, a functioning guy walking around and it can really um, just happen. So he was also a vegetarian, which definitely didn't um, help the situation. And um, uh, yeah, but it, yeah, it was just amazing to see someone who is also like not just bed rest, but he's having a catabolic crisis. Um, yeah, wow. Yeah. yeah. Tony, I've got a, a question for you on that, on what you spoke about, about um, one week uh, of bed rest, the, the muscle mass loss takes uh, about six months to regain with resistance training. 
Um, are you the, the this isn't even my question, but I just want for context. Are you talking about um, in elderly people or in anybody? Yeah, in the older age, there's actually age, a, yeah. a number of data on this, depending on the age bracket studied. But essentially, subjects are tested both in the cross-sectional surface area of, say, the quadriceps and then on a, a parameter of strength like a leg press mm -hmm. and then are put into a cast for a week mm -hmm. and then a strength trained two or three times a week until they get the same size back and the same strength back. And that Six period of time wow, is months and months and months. And are they yeah. trained or untrained individuals? Oh, that's a good question. There's been a number of studies that have been done. Uh, in that population group, I believe that was a trained population group, okay. but I would need to check to see. There's lots of detraining studies, both with people who are former athletes, recreationally trained and sedentary. Okay, so I've got a quick. This, this is this is really my question. Everything I just said there was to frame it. Um, what's your opinion, your personal opinion on? Um, let's say you're somebody that has gotten things right in the way that Yanni framed it, where, you know, in your early twenties or mid twenties, you, you start going to the gym regularly, two, three, four days a week doing resistance training. Um, you know, you put on, um, you know, you're a man that goes from 70 kilos to 80 kilos of lean mass. Um, and you then go through that one week of bed rest of immobilization. Do you think that that same person can bounce back to their where they were before that week of immobilization quicker with resistance training? Yeah, the data, this comes down to this loose term muscle memory, and the data seems to show that it does exist. And most likely because you have more cells in muscle fibers uh, in the myonuclei that recognize the, the, the tension placed on the muscle when you lift weights. So you will typically be able to return to your form faster than somebody who had equivalent amount of muscle but was untrained. Yeah, which is a, a very important point to make, I think, if we're, if we're talking about this catabolic crisis um, thing. It is, it's really relevant to, to understand that somebody that, that does have, uh, have experience mm -hmm. in training um, can deal with these catabolic crises um, better mm -hmm. than the average person. Yeah, and for, for it sounds pretty grim for people who are in this situation and everyone you know has been sick and, and been you know, in a similar thing where they just feel like you can't do anything. But um, do you have many thoughts about things like imaginary training or contralateral training if you do have an immobilized limb for maintenance of strength and muscle mass? Is that something you've looked into? Yeah, first and foremost, uh, you, you train what you can train. So this is now talking about injuries because you can work around other limbs and there is data to show that working the uninjured limb has a transference to the limb that is immobilized. Then I would focus on nutrition and emphasize regular protein feeding. So typically 20 to 30 grams for most average weight people spread three or four times across the day. And recent data shows that omega-3 fatty acids also interacts with the protein to help maintain muscle mass and strength when uh, an individual is injured. So that would be, I think the, the, the most recent compelling data is three and a half grams of marine lipids a day in conjunction with that protein. And I would also use neuromuscular electrical stimulation units like a like a power dot or a complex. These things are 
portable, small, relatively inexpensive these days, and you can use those devices in conjunction with bed rest or around injuries. Yeah, we we talked about this in my sports science degree. We actually did a, a a test where we're doing contralateral training, where we test both arms at the beginning, doing bicep curls, and then six weeks of just training your your um, non dominant hand, and then coming back, and you did see a strength mm-hmm. increase in that other side. And that is because that yeah. neural drive yeah. um, aspect yeah, of mm-hmm. when you're um, just teaching yeah. your brain to basically send more signal and activate these larger motor units. Um, but yeah, when in that we were also looking at um, the idea of imaginary training, where basically like there was studies into even just imagining you're doing maximal efforts has a similar effect on increasing neural drive. And there was some um, science to show that actually increased or like maintained more muscle mass than people who didn't do this very um, intensive imaginary training. So I just thought it's a a really interesting one for people who, you know, are now really horrified about the idea of going into um, a catabolic crisis in the future, like just having some of these ideas about maybe things that you could do to try and um, minimize that effect. There's something there, but absolutely. Um, so just quickly circling back, Tony, the, uh, marine lipids. Is it okay to get that through supplementation? Uh, a good fish oil supplement. Yeah, that's typically what's used in the studies because it's standardized. Yeah, and you can dose it perfectly. Yeah, absolutely. So just um, um, two more things I want to go. First of all, Patrick Offner, who was one of the people that that was most interested in finding this out, he's a 65-year-old orthopedic surgeon in our online coaching group who... Uh, obviously, as most surgeons, um, uh, is a shift worker and can do very, very long periods uh, of quite disruptive um, uh, shift work. And then, and he's, uh, Rad and I always joke about if we look as good as he does at 65, I'll be very happy. He's, he, he, you know, he doesn't look like he's... Um, uh, um, a non, uh, not a strong person. He's a very, very athletic looking person, must be six foot two or something like that. Six foot one at least. Uh, but what would you give as a specific tip that where I want to end this is the difference between, um, men and women, because we do know that the, the, uh, women, um, um, uh, perimenopausal muscle loss is, is, is something that is very real and, and, and probably a lot, um, more dramatic, uh, and tangible than what the uh, male at the same sort of age bracket will experience. First of all, what, what specific sort of, uh, tip would you give, um, someone like Patrick, who's a shift worker, works very high stress um, uh, as a surgeon, 65 years old to maintain his muscle mass? Would it be uh, training specific or a combination of protein dosage and training specific? And then how would you do that with a, uh, a woman of the same sort of age um, post menopause? Yeah, the beauty of exercise is it covers for a, a number of sins. And data has shown that the exercise session, in particular weight training, can counteract some of the negatives that we see in sleep deprivation. And John Hawley is doing a lot of this research down in Victoria these days of of looking at circadian changes or sleep restriction, and then to see what happens to muscle growth or muscle protein synthesis. We know for decades it's blunted. There's a 10 to 15% reduction in testosterone when you've undergone five nights of sleep restriction. And that's just a few hours less. So that's not even dramatic. So what Hawley and his colleagues are starting to show is that exercise can override some of the negatives that we see with sleep restriction. So that would be one. And obviously it sounds like he's already onto that. What we see with menopause is that the protective effect of estrogen 
is no longer there. And therefore, its effect on bone, muscle mass, and insulin sensitivity is no longer, you're no longer able to, to use that. So you have to artificially induce it with exercise. One session of exercise improves insulin sensitivity and glute transporters. So the glute transporter that takes carbohydrate into the muscle cell or into the liver is upregulated. So that's one session of exercise. So you have to exercise regularly. The effect on bone and muscle mass has to be, art, again, artificially induced with resistance training. So you have to say, right, well, I don't have the effect of estrogen anymore, but weight training, resistance training, then upregulates muscle protein synthesis. So that's what you want. So post-menopause, you have to use exercise as your medication. And we use weight training for bone and muscle, and we use aerobic training for insulin sensitivity. In fact, all exercise improves insulin sensitivity, but the health of the mitochondria, and then you can keep progressing into your later years, confidently knowing that you're doing the best thing for bone, muscle and insulin sensitivity and just quickly on that uh do do people need to do long bouts of steady state cardio or can you get the same benefit or an okay benefit from doing shorter bouts of interval training for that mitochondrial health there's certainly cross crossovers there's no question interval training has been shown to maximally improve the expression of of many mitochondrial markers of of its growth and of its function. But at the same time, what steady state is doing is it's causing the maximal use of enzymes involved in both carbohydrate and fat metabolism with a, a very easy exercise stimulus that doesn't overly tax the neuromuscular and the central nervous system. So they are different and you can't use one and not the other. You can't just do interval training and not steady state because you're going to miss those enzymes involved in carbon fat burning. And you can't just do zone two or steady state exercise because then you're gonna miss that top end VO2 benefits and the expression of mitochondrial function. So you do need both and you do need to do them with a degree of regularity so you keep the enzyme pathways alive and active because muscle is highly plastic and malleable. So as soon as you take a week off an exercise stimulus, you start to go backwards. So it needs to be done with regularity and consistency. And just a similar question, but now looking at bone, I think that impact has such a like bad name in like for a lot of people. They think they get really scared of impact and like, oh, I shouldn't, you know, uh, I should stop running. I should get um, just, I should only use swimming. It's low impact. That's good for me, right? But um, you're talking there about bone stimulus from resistance exercise, but how do you feel about like impact versus resistance exercise for um, bone health. And that's just really important for postmenopausal women, especially with um, risk yeah, of it's a very important question. Yeah, it's a very important question. And we have a number of different stresses or pathways by which bone is then forced to have a, a greater deposition of bone as opposed to more breakdown. And we have impact that occurs with jumping, skipping, running. And then we've got tensile forces placed on the bone that occurs with weight training either just pure compression of the bone or the, 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 the bending of the bone that occurs, say, when you bow forward during a, a, a deadlift or a, a good morning, a back extension. So either way, we need a multiple approach, a multifaceted approach to looking at bone. We want high impact, running, skipping, jumping, 
and we want weight training that stresses the bone in a different way to pure compression. And the idea that we should avoid these high impact, it's, it's going to lead us down the road of, well, what happens to swimmers' bones? And what happens to cyclists' bones? They're all osteopenic, if not osteoporotic. So that's why we want nutrition to provide enough raw materials to be sent to bone, and then enough of a stimulus or this mechanotransduction that takes the load and sends it to the bone. Brilliant. And the last, the final thing, and, and, uh, and which was also part of um, Jody's original question, from a uh, from a like a psychological standpoint, I know that none of us are qualified psychologists here, but we can certainly give a little bit of insight or encouragement around what to focus on if you are a, a woman um, dealing with menopause, knowing that okay, uh, I'm I'm you know if I don't exercise, I'm going to lose a lot of my muscle mass. Uh, exercise we've made very clear uh, is the medicine. Um, from a from a psychological standpoint, what 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 encouraging words would you give a, a female client just to get their head in the right spot so they don't feel uh, sort of hope uh, a sense of hopelessness uh, dealing with that period of life? Well, ultimately, not being a psychologist, my job is to educate and inform. And that, that's what we do as coaches. So we, we prescribe the sets and the reps, but we also explain the why. And a lot of the public, especially peri and postmenopause, they don't understand exercise as medicine. And many coaches don't. They know the sets and the reps, but they don't know how it affects bone and how it affects muscles or knowing what physiologically is happening to a female as they go through these changes. So what I do is I explain to them, this is what you're going through. And this is what exercise does to counteract the effect of estrogen on bone, the effect of estrogen on your glute transporters and insulin sensitivity and on your muscle mass. And if you don't do X, Y, Z, this is what's going to happen. Yeah, that's fantastic. And um, I think that we've given a very, very strong argument to why it is so important for both men and women as you age to exercise, but also for younger men and women to, to bank that time to build those healthy mm -hmm. habits and to prepare yourself because you never really know. And I really like the fact that we've highlighted these, um, uh, these periods of time that are really unpredictable, like myself uh, having a soccer injury and needing an, a knee reconstruction that make it extremely hard to be consistent. You know, uh, we like to think that we're building habits that are consistent throughout our life. Uh, but, you know, life always um, sort of throws you a curveball when you least expect it. And I think the best um, the best medicine for that is to just, uh, you know, do as much as you can when the time when you when you can. Yeah. And it's something that I'm think I'm really hoping that physio sort of changes where I think there's kind of been a tendency to really zoom in on acute stuff and basically take people out of their activity while they do very low load rehab exercises. And I'm, I'm, I'm really hoping and I'm pushing for people to really see injuries as an opportunity to then work on other parts of their body that maybe they don't do um they don't train regularly mm -hmm. or don't have much intention towards and then like using it as a kind of launch pad to find another like um bit of enthusiasm for training because these times when people get injuries and, and duck out of training are, are these um catabolic crises that can just um, really go downhill so i encourage you to if you're working with a health professional that tells you to stop everything uh, maybe get some a second opinion 
Absolutely. Brilliant. Well, thanks so much, Tony, for joining us again. If you're interested, you can, uh, Tony can be found on Twitter at Tony Botagi, T-O-N-Y-B-O-U-T-A-G-Y. For interesting articles he's read or on Instagram at Tony Bataji for more training related information. And remember that you can enroll in any of Tony's amazing coaching courses at TonyBataji.com. We highly recommend them. They are a massive influence on our UMS program. Thanks so much for joining us again, Tony, and we look forward to having you on the show again really soon. Pleasure. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Tony. Thanks, Phil. Thanks, Phil. Cheers.